This is a fourth hand production. Story in the news today. You believe in ghosts and the paranormal? Are they are they UFOs or are they like some crazy experimental, you know, governmental I don't know, know planes man. that they're building? Police in Española are catching more than just criminals. They're catching images of what they believe are ghosts. There's this weird animal-like creature that was shot, wolf-like creature that just stood out in some odd ways. And welcome to Strange Uncles, everyone. I am Shane. I am John. I'm Josh. Yarg tonight, anyway. Mm-hmm, yeah. Yar. <laughs> yeah, right. Yarg exactly. tonight. <laughs> Yar tonight. <laughs> I don't know why that just started, started like that. <laughs> That's hilarious. God. Anyway, everybody. Hey, so welcome to the show. Um, this one actually is kind of fun. We we just got done recording it, and uh, we're kind of excited to bring it to you. I wanted to see if you guys had anything before that. I've got a quick recommendation that kind of fits into the show, fits in the interview. I don't know. I don't remember if you guys have read it or not, but it's something that's been on my kind of my wish list, I guess. And I finally ordered it and got it, and I'm looking forward to it. But do you guys got anything on your side? I mean, uh, new, what's a pirate? What's what's a pirate's favorite uh, letter? Uh, R. You think it's the R, but it's the C. <laughs> <laughs> that's so stupid but it's funny i like that <laughs> sorry oh, it just reminded me dad jokes that's but continue yep no oh, that's funny won't take any more time no that's no, all i had on my ways. end oh you don't have any more jokes because that was pretty good so I like besides my life no that's it <laughs> yeah me too right exactly i wish somebody was stealing my identity christ almighty i've been leaving 50 dollars oh, on yeah, the windshield really every day actually yeah, no, much fun no one no. wants that yeah well you know had we'll to see. freeze my credit uh, the other day. Oh, really? Someone was applying uh, for shit in my name, apparently. Oh, that's right. You were talking about that. Yeah, uh. well, by the other day, I mean, I guess this was like a few months ago. But Yeah, but that's still like yesterday to me was a week ago. So, you know, I get it. Time fly. Pandemic time is what they call it. Yeah, I was like, so. go ahead, steal my identity. This fucking sucks. And then someone did, and I was like, oh, Damn shit. It. <laughs> Making sure they don't take what meager things I have. Oh, my God. Fucking huge pain in the ass. Well, not only that, but you got to run around and shut shit down and phone call. I got a guy that I work with, somebody exact same name that he has, and he ended up, not only did he steal his identity and run a bunch of shit up, but somehow credit companies are calling him, and then he ended up in jail for something. Like, it's been, he's been going through for like a year and a half. Like, he's about done. It's been a shit show for for a long time, and I really feel bad for the guy. Oh, man. Anyway, but um, we actually have something unique on this one. I wanted to throw a recommendation out there real quick because, you know, we've got obviously Patreon listeners. And a lot of them are readers like we are. Uh, and, you know, we all read books and we kind of swap back and forth. And, and hopefully if we <laughs> get our shit together, we'll start a book club one of these days. Uh, but there was one. I don't know if you guys have you guys ever heard of a guy called Alan Greenfield? I'm sure you have. Mm-hmm. Been yeah, for a long time. Yeah, I know, I know that name. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why I know that name, but I know that name. Well, he's he wrote like something. A oh, magician cool. and stuff for a while. He was like in the Thelemic societies and like, uh, <clears throat> um, big in like numerology and like magic and shit. Uh, he was the guy that they talked to in Hellier season two. 
in the hotel that oh is that they bring him up yeah i remember that yeah yeah okay gotcha yes oh the complete cipher of this of the euphonauts yep okay yeah 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 that's actually so that was a book that i was going to recommend i'm about to start reading it um i'm almost done with the day after roswell we had a guest recommend that uh that we had her on the show a month or so ago and she goes you know you really want to know the real truth of what happened you, you got to read that one i'll tell you what I'll, I'll either ship it to you guys or bring it over when i visit it's uh i have it oh do I've you have it, it? yeah it, it's, it. it's yeah. interesting it, it's it's pretty good it's not too bad yeah. so i'm going to finish that one and then of course the complete secret cipher of the uh euphonauts is next on my list and yeah been kind of dragging my feet for uh, about eight months on it finally got it so uh but the reason i bring that up is because hmm. we almost actually, as long as you've been dragging your feet on the trickster and the paranormal no you know i started reading it like twice i've got it laying on my bookshelf i just once my study's done which i'm working on it now uh, trust me john it's I, it's I, a hard book to read. <laughs> it is hard i, I saw your cleft notes in the side and i'm like jesus man you got some fucking you got some perspective on this stuff but yeah do some um, mood enhancers that are perfectly legal where you live and uh, okay. makes it a little easier. <laughs> it makes through. it a little a flow better, does it? Yeah. So. <laughs> Touche, sir. So, yeah. Um, anyway, we have authors on the show. We've got researchers, a little bit, you know, guests from all, all different genres for sure. Usually we don't have fiction writers on. And uh, I caught this email that, that they emailed Strange Uncles uh, – about and it was a publicist and she says hey i've got this author he's out of ohio and so you know i I ran it by you guys were like yeah this is cool it's october it's a good time of the season what he writes kind of fits right up that alley and so you know it's unique because we usually don't have somebody like this on but he was awesome and so we're gonna go into this that means his name is matt betts and uh fantastic uh writer what he does he's got all kinds he's been doing it for a while he's got great ideas and what he I guess I don't know how to classify it, guys. Uh, mixed between horror, steampunk, sci-fi, like it's just everything we kind of love smashed together. It's basically uh, the way I would describe it is like if if anyone who listens to this show reads fiction, this is the kind of fiction you want to read. There you go. Yeah, perfect. Like Spot on. It kind of encapsulates a lot of the stuff that we talk about. You know what I mean? Like uh, it's it's a nice blend of of sci-fi, uh, horror, and I don't know. Looking through his book list, I was like, okay, I want to read that. Okay, I want to mm-hmm. read that, you know. Like Yeah, yeah, for sure. A lot of alternate history. Yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah, he even dabbles in uh, poetry too. Fun to play with. Yeah, I think it's awesome. Uh, it was a great interview. Um so without further ado, if you guys are cool with it, uh, let's roll in the interview with Matt Betts. I'll open the gates everybody. <laughs> Matt Betts was born and raised in Lima, Ohio, and while growing up, he found a love in pulp culture. He read comics, watched cartoons, listened to various popular music, watched the old monster movies on TV, and read everything he could to get his grubby little hands on for anything weird. Matt went to college in Toledo to study communications, which led him to work as a radio personality for the campus. While in college, he moonlighted as a waiter at a local comedy club where he had a chance meeting with Larry Miller, whose words of wisdom would help carve out his path in life. Larry suggested that creativity is creativity. You don't have to do just one thing. Whether you're writing a poem or a script, that creativity feeds other things you do. This is advice Matt has applied to his writing career from the beginning, allowing his love of pulp culture to infuse and inform all of his work, including poetry, short fiction, and his long body of works. Here's a quote from David Pitt, a reviewer, in regards to Matt's book, Odd Man Out. 
quote, it's impossible to say this too strongly. This steampunk horror historical thriller crossbed, uh, crossbreed is an amazing book. Word of mouth could turn this from an under-the-radar debut novel into a genre-busting cult classic. Get on board now. So we usually don't have fiction writers on the show, but between revering Matt's fantastic work as well as being a nice fit in the October holiday, we thought you, the listeners, would enjoy Matt's writings, which include The Boogeyman's Intern, The Shadow Beneath the Waves, and See No Evil, Say No Evil, among numerous others. We are ecstatic to have time to pick his brain and see what makes this man tick. So Matt, welcome to Strange Uncles. Hey, thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Uh, I'm looking forward to talking all about the weird and the wonderful. October is a great time for it. Oh, it's a perfect time. Yep, yep, right up our alley for sure. You know, and like we said in the bio real quick, you know, we, we don't really have a lot of fiction authors on, but we looked at your books and did some reading. I've got one on order, which, you know, due to supply chain issues, I, I hear there's a pandemic going on, evidently. I've heard. Uh, you know, it's a bit it's a bit out, but I can't wait to get my hands on it for sure. Um, cool. I guess we can kind of start there. You know, we, we touched briefly on it with kind of how you got into it, but if you want to kind of put it in your own words, like what that star, that path looked like for you, and, and we can yeah. move on. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I I was a uh, you know as a kid growing up in the seventies. Uh, I hate to say how long ago it was, but in the seventies and eighties, you know, I spent all my time at the library. You know, not all my time, but you know, picking up books a couple times uh, a month and going home and just devouring everything. And and you know, my favorites really were the the uh, unexplained books and the the cryptid books and the you know the, the great Bigfoot and UFO stuff back then chariots of the gods and all that fun stuff that was oh, yeah. coming out and and I just I just loved reading everything whether it was books like that or or you know fiction my dad you know uh, and my my dad my grandpa my my uh, my uh, aunt huge readers they always had stacks of books everywhere so I just you know it was natural to 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 go to the library and, and grab books I assumed everyone came home with a, a stack of books bigger than they were. And uh, eventually it just came to that point where I enjoyed uh, reading so much and I enjoyed sci-fi and horror and all that great stuff that I just wanted to start telling my own stories and start writing my own stuff just just to see how it goes and wrote some in high school and a little bit in college. But um, and most of that was like horror. You know, there were Stephen King knockoffs. I, I love Stephen King in, in uh, college and uh, still do. But, you know, my, most of my early stuff was was stealing from him or attempting to and, and not even coming close. But, you know, uh, and when I moved to Columbus here about 20 years ago now, uh, I joined a writer's group and said, you know, I kind of want to get serious about this. And we all were fairly new at it in that group and just learned from each other. And, you know, we would go to writers conferences and meet new people, learn new stuff. And then we'd come back to our group and teach them, you know, hey, this I figured out how to do this or I found this out. And, you know, we really didn't have, you know, at that point the internet as, as as we know it it wasn't quite that found of information that we could turn to and learn how to do just about anything so it was all just learning off of each other and then you know uh sending it back and and, and writing and figuring yeah. it out until we started getting published and started uh a couple of them started their own uh, uh publishing house that did uh mysteries and things like that so it was you know it was trial and error for a long time and uh i started writing this book uh that you mentioned thank you for uh, oddman out and took me years to figure it out because I didn't have any real formal writing training. I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I, I was just kind of like, all right, I, I know how a book works. I can do this. And <laughs> I'm going to put I've read, really, I've read a plenty of them. Right. I've, yeah. I've put words together at some point. Yeah. Uh, and it's not nearly as easy as it looks. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, the first book took me a couple of years and I started, like I said, I was going to writers conferences uh, and I met some people that, later on down the line, years later, almost a decade later, said, hey, I, I know you were working on a book. Uh, where, how, how are you doing with that? Where is it at? And, you know, 
uh, I had been sending it to agents and not getting, uh, uh, you know, accepted or anything. But this person, you know, eventually said, it's, uh, Heidi Ruby Miller, who ended up being uh, my editor, said, look, we're, I'm, I'm in charge of this new sci-fi wing of a horror imprint. And we're looking oh. for our first few books. So they read my book and liked it. And I ended up being one of their first three books that they published. So that's the long answer, not the short version <laughs> of how I got into writing and how I, I actually ended up writing books. Uh, books you know along the way i wrote some poetry and i wrote some uh, uh short stories and things like that but uh odd man out didn't come out until 2013 so you know it took years to get it written it took years to mm-hmm. you know find the right place for it so yeah yeah that's crazy isn't that frustrating when you get you know you're you're like almost window shopping your work you know and, and right. just nobody's really picking that up you know it's funny because you mentioned growing up i same thing i mean i think all of us too in fact i i've been slowly trying to collect all the God, what is it? The time life, the mysteries of the unknown. Oh yeah, yeah. Time life mystery. It's whatever. Yeah, whatever it yeah, was. Yeah, yeah it they was had like, a serial killer one, and they had a mystery one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They had like thirty-two books. I, I think I found like twenty-one. Right. <laughs> but you know, that's the same thing. Like that's how we yeah. all kind of got into this, and we started right. doing it. Um, I, you know, so curious. The question between, you know, because we, you know, obviously we've had this podcast going for a long time. We've got guests mm-hmm. on that are researchers in that field. But sure. uh, where was that shift when, uh, and I guess why, when it went to, hey, I'm going to, I'm not going to research this, but I'm going to do something fictional. This is the route yeah. I'm going to take and the yeah. route I'm going to take with that, you know? Well, you know, I had had the idea uh, for Oddman Out, my first book, um, for a long time, you know, and that was, you know, my first big foray into fiction. I had actually written a short story and I was shopping that around and the rejections I was getting from it were, you know, you, uh, you haven't, uh, you, you, there's more to it. We feel like it's a bigger story here, which eventually I, I you know, they, they felt like it should be a book. And I, you know, like I said, I had no idea what I was doing as far as a book. So uh, it took a while to research that. It took a while for me to figure out how to take the stuff that I really enjoyed um, in real life and put it into a, and help, you know, inform what I was doing in books. Uh, my dad is like our family historian. So I, I kind of oh. broke into his civil war records uh, he has uh, some really thorough records of one of our relatives that was in the Civil War. And I had known about that. I knew about it in high school. And and so when I was trying to think of how to expand this book, I thought, well, maybe I'll read those records and just look through them. Hmm. And I stole a few facts here and there, like the regiment that guy was, uh, our relative was in, uh, some of the facts about where what skirmishes he was in. And I, I sort of informed some of my characters with this real life stuff uh, that, that fascinated me as a kid. And now I was like, oh, yeah, I might be able to use that here. And, uh, hmm. and so that's kind of how that, how, you know, my research for that got started. And that sort of made me branch out a little further and see what else was happening in the Civil War in California, which uh, I, I didn't realize there was quite that much going on. So that was kind of fun to, to look through that and, and to find some uh, facts that were going on, you know, so some, you know, the location of certain forts and the location of certain troops and, and then twist it into uh, what I needed it to be, you know, to yeah, take yeah. that fact and then figure out where to branch that fact off. Um, into fiction that in a way that makes sense to me was, you know, to be doing this in my first book was kind of, you know, uh, a little bit weird, but I I found it to be what made me really structure that and what made it be a little more realistic, you know, a little Mm -hmm. more, uh, I think, interesting to have these sort of real life facts that um, I could back up the fiction with. So it's always been kind of fun with my dad being a family historian to, to sort of get these little details and be able to throw them in there from real life to, to, pump up your fictional characters, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's actually kind of badass. And I yeah. think that kind of a mix of that genre, it's fairly recent, you know, and I know, and I, God, I want to say it's Eric Larson. I don't think that's the right name for it. He actually wrote, he writes about 
about true historical fact, but he puts a fictional tale behind it. And, yeah. And it's amazing. You know, so it's, it's well, really cool. Eric Larson likes write some really, yeah, he writes some really good, uh, uh, you know, real, real life uh, stories, you know, nonfiction. But mm-hmm. the way he writes it, when you read them, you don't, you know, it really feels like fiction the way he writes. Mm-hmm. It's just so many details he throws in there and then all this little background stuff. And, yeah, I love him. I, I got to meet him here once. Uh, oh. He was in Columbus for an author thing and oh, just cool. fascinating to hear how he approaches his books. So, yeah, he really. He researches the crap out of his yeah, stuff. It, and, it is actually uh, crazy. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, like uh, I, I love the genre or subgenre itself of um, of alternative historical fiction. Sure. Like going back to when I was a kid and I uh, picked up uh, Philip K. Dick's Man in the High Tower and oh, nice. like his yeah. alternative uh, outcome of World War Two. You know, right. and like all of all of how that fits into like just his overall worldview is is pretty wild. Yeah, uh, there's another one. I can't think of the guy's name. I think his name is Harris. Uh, he wrote a really good fictional uh, sort of alternate history of uh, a treaty between the United States and Russia. And uh, man, I'm, I'm dying. It started Rutger Hauer, and it was just my favorite. It was a great uh, movie, but then the book was also terrific. When I went back and read it, they were just, they were both amazing. Um, uh, I wanted to say Gorky Park, but it's not Gorky Park, but um, just a, just, it was just, terrific to, to find these little bits of history and to talk about the historical figures you know the president at the time and 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 you know all these terrific treaties going on near that never really happened but but have that that air of reality you know yeah, yeah that that realism for sure and I, I yeah i think nowadays you know we, well you know with like, <laughs> right you know we're, nowadays we're, it's we're, an art form yeah <laughs> god it's crazy absolutely <laughs> so how long did it take you to uh when you started coming up with the idea of the odd man out you know it's your first book how long did it yeah. actually take you to kind of get that body of work together and and a thing well, like I said, the, the short story was going out for probably a couple of years. So there's two years there. And then I decided to start doing the book. And it, it probably, I was working a nine to five job. I was in a, uh, I was working for a health insurance company and uh, I would go on my lunch breaks and start, and I would write for like whatever, 45 minutes. So I could go to McDonald's or whatever, sit down with my laptop and write and then come back. And uh, then I would, you know, come home and finish some more later. Uh, this was before I had kids and I actually had free time. And uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. so once I had kids, I actually had to do it all during like lunch breaks and stuff, but it took me about, about three years after that. So maybe four years from the time I started writing that short story until the time someone approached me and said, Hey, we, we do want to, take this on and publish it. So it was right. at least that long yeah, yeah. Um, because I guess I was submitting it for a year or so before someone came along. So, you know, four yeah. or five years from start to, to print, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, when, when you start writing, nobody really at the time was telling me at, at these conferences, here's how long it could take you. You know, you always think it's going to be like, I've got this idea. I'm going to go home and write it. It'll be yeah. done. Someone will buy it or, you know, it, yeah. uh, publishing it on the web at the time or publishing it through Amazon wasn't really, an option yet, or it was just becoming an option. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, that wasn't really a thought, but it was like, yeah, somebody will buy it. They'll, yeah, yeah. it'll get out there. Yeah, yeah. We, but it, we, we can have later. I'll have a book together. Eh, right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And you can do that today, but right. back then, it, it, you know, it could take a year from the time somebody accepted it or more before it hit, hit newsstands before it, or even started getting printed. So I've never um, once thought, about the idea of a book thinking I could just blast that out in a couple months. <laughs> I guess I, I thought, I, man, if I ever write a book, I'm going to be like 85 before it's finished. And uh, th- that'll be it for me. 
I I was excited. My my hometown is uh, Lyme, Ohio, uh, and they have literally barely done ever done a story about me. I mean, not that I they have to, but it was I was always like, well, you know, I, I made some awards and things like that here and there, but they're, they haven't published anything. And then I, I someone said there was a uh, I think there's an alert on on Google or something because you know those things kind of come up. But, uh, they had a story about a local author, uh, w- you know, winning an award, and I thought, wow, good. They finally they finally did something about me. Yay! <laughs> And I, I went and I looked at the article and it was about this 90 year old woman who was publishing her first book. <laughs> Christ. And I was like, life. okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at least she's won an award. At That's right. Point. She won something right. for it. Yeah. So yeah. And you, and, you but, could, and you could see her in the chair, like with an old 1940s piece of paper. It's a bucket list. Like, Last one off the list. Right. Done there deal. you go. Boom. So, took yeah. me 83 years. <laughs> I mean, it better be good if it took her that long, you know? That's right. She started writing when she was 20 and, <laughs> and wrote about a sentence a day. And, you know, it, uh, right. so, I can uh, see it. <laughs> what's, uh, what do you think, what hits you as the hardest part of the writing process? And has that uh, changed over time? Has you've written more books or is it... Uh, is it always the same thing that you're like, ah, we're to this part of the process and I ate it. It's yeah. I mean, in the beginning. So if you go to writers conferences or you talk to any writer, you know, fiction writers in general, and maybe it's the same for nonfiction as well, but uh, there's a debate between plotters and pantsers. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but basically the plotter is the person who will go through before they write a single word, they will get notebooks out and they will plot their entire book. Not, you know, the first chapter is going to be this. And then this, you know, this person will come in and then this, you know, and really just, just really have it all ready to go before they jump in there and start writing it. They'll re- do a lot of their research, most of the research. And so that's a plotter, someone that really plots it all out. They have an outline and they're ready to roll when it's time to write. Pantsers, which is more or less how I started. And I sort of am a hybrid at this point, but pantsers are people who say, I've got an idea for a story. I'm going to start writing today. <laughs> you know, And they just sit down and they start writing plan. What plan I'm going for it. Uh, and that's probably why the first book or two took me so long to write either of them. I don't, you know, I, I hadn't at that point uh, really plotted things out because, oh, I've got it in my head when I get to, you know, it'll all come out flowing out when I start writing. It'll be so easy. And it never, it never is because you'll get to that point, no matter how prepared you are mentally, where you don't know where you're going next, or you don't know how to get this person from point A to point B. So that's always been a problem for me doing it that way. And it's the way I want to, I just want to jump in and do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, after a while, some people I've, you know, I've debated this with have convinced me that at least doing a shorter outline, uh, even if it's, you know, very basic is going to help me. And it has, you know, going through and just maybe going through and saying what's going to happen in each chapter or uh, what each character's arc is or whatever. Um, I, and I had to do a book for uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs, Inc., who wrote, um, you know, they wrote uh, John Carter of Mars and, you know, uh, oh, well, yeah. Burroughs wrote John Carter of Mars and uh, Tarzan and all these uh, in the 30s and 40s. And so I got to write a book that continued one of his series. Uh, and uh, so, but before I could write anything for them, they wanted a very thorough outline. And I had been watching someone else was going to write a book for them. And he said his uh, outline was like 15,000 words. And and so when you think about it, the book I was going to write had to be at least had to be right around 70,000. So I was like, wow, that's pretty thorough. So then I started going through and started mine and mine ended up somewhere around 13,000 words, which, you know, that's a chapter or more of a book, you know? Uh, So having done that for them kind of, 
you know, pushed me a little more toward the, I should be plotting a little better because once we had that, that uh, outline they wanted agreed upon, it was really just like connecting the dots. It was so thorough about what was going to happen in that book. You know, it really had this guy does this and they go here and then they go there. And it was thorough enough that I could just sit down and connect the dots all the way through the book. And normally a book will take me, you know, maybe six months, depending on whether I have a deadline for it. And that one I, I wrote in three months because I had a serious deadline, but also because I had that great outline. Mm-hmm. And so that's probably my hardest part is that internal uh, uh, struggle to really just want to sit down and go for it, uh, as opposed to maybe it would help me in the long run if I don't just sit down and go for it and I, I make up a little roadmap. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that's bad. And then, you know, editing is always a little tough too. You know, it's kind of tough to be critical of your own work sometimes, you know, sit down and go, I love that sentence. But when I look at that sentence, it has nothing to do with the rest of yeah, the book. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's no reason yeah. for it. And mm. it's just so hard to, to go back and cut things. And, you know, I, I rely on some other editors to, to look at my stuff, but, you know, you got to do a few passes on your own and uh, it's just tough to be critical sometimes. So those are probably my two biggest problems. Man, I'll tell you, you know, that honestly, Matt, that's probably the best thing I've heard. So I, when <laughs> this whole pandemic started, you know, of mm. course we, you know, we used to get together. We all used to be in Salt Lake as I met John and, and Josh and mm. we'd get okay. together and live like, you know, you should, because it's, that's what people right. do. And you record the podcast and then all court, you know, the pandemic happened and we learned zoom, we learned all this other stuff. And I decided, you know, I'm going to write a book. I've been wanting to write a book for a long time. Got a bunch of short stories that I put together sure. over time. And I'm like, oh, I plant all the time in the world. Well, right. I'm on chapter two. And <laughs> I just can't figure out where to go from that. It is right? just, you know, and I'm like you, I want to jump into it. Yeah, there's no yeah. outline. There's no, I know what I want. It's just, you know, yeah. so that, that's great. That's a, but that's it's just not flying out. You know what you want, it's but it just won't come out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah. But see, what's fun, though, is when I have that outline, if I have that basic outline or, you know, sort of going hybrid, uh, if I if I know how how things are going to happen, I can skip around. Like if I'm I have a scene in my head, I'm like, oh, I can't wait to write this scene, this fight scene, this whatever. I can jump ahead to that scene and say, okay, this scene's going to happen probably in chapter 20 or whatever, since I have that outline and I can go write that scene Mm -hmm. or I can write the beginning and then I can write the end and then I can start writing to see what connects them. Uh, and I, when I tell people that, you know, are serious outliners or ser- serious plotters, they're like, you can't jump around. I'm like, sure you can. <laughs> Once you, you know where time. you're going, if, yeah, yeah, right. Just make it all connect. Right, right. exactly. It's just like, you know, putting muscle between your, your scenes, whatever mm-hmm. connects them and makes them work. You have that ability once you know where the story is going and what the important scenes are, you know? But what, what the flow looks like, yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. so you know, like if you said your ch- second chapter in, maybe there's something you really want to do. You know, I, I know I want to talk about or i know i want to have this happen sometime write that scene and then see what you need to connect that to the bigger plot you know yeah yeah well so i've got a question for you um and, sure. and we can get in as so we talked about your first book um mm-hmm. you know the work you took the time and everything like that and then yeah. of course you know your other books are, are coming past that which we mentioned a few what um where's those ideas come from like how what does that look like for you Right. You know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, the, the short answer is I have no clue, but you know, sometimes it's, I'll, I'll get something and it'll stick with me. And, you know, just like even a little scene or not, maybe not even a scene, like a little image of something. Uh, I, the book I, I wrote, my pandemic book is taking, has taken forever. I just finished it the other day. Uh, but it started from this uh, scene I had of, uh, of uh, that it, I probably had for at least a decade, if not more of, 
just this boat going down the river, basically a, a PT boat uh, going down the river um, and some music behind it. And that was about it. And I kept seeing that for years while I'm writing other things, a stupid scene would, and I had no idea what to do with it. And finally it kind of occurred to me uh, before the pandemic started, what, what it would be, what, what I could connect it to. And I kept making it a little bit wider and wider before I sat down to write. Uh, but, you know, it's, it, and my first, uh, yeah, the first book, part of that came from just an image I saw of, of something that just stuck with me and really had no greater, <laughs> greater, you know, ex, ex, uh, explanation to it mm-hmm. until it just sort of clicked and said, okay, this short story and this image can come together. And I got, I have this, um, and sometimes, you know, just silly little things with, um, I started writing uh, sci-fi poetry, which I didn't yeah. know was a thing, sci-fi and horror poetry, which I didn't know was a thing until I went to a, uh, uh, conference and, and someone was teaching a course on it. And I went and I learned about it and I was so excited to find out that I could write about, uh, zombies and Bigfoot and put that <laughs> into a poem and people would actually occasionally pay me money for them. And, you know, people actually, you know, bought those collections of, UFO poetry or whatever. Um, but I wrote one that was about Godzilla and it was so weird. All of the things that came together for that poem. Uh, it's uh, was watching my son who was just crawling at the time. And we would put down like blocks on the floor and he would go and knock them down. You know, every time you made a block tower, he would knock them over. Even if he was like, we're like, okay, it's time to go to bed. He wouldn't, you throw a fit until <laughs> you got to knock that tower over. Yeah, right? got to knock that down. <laughs> right? So I, I wrote a poem uh, based on that and a couple of other influences about Godzilla and why does he, from the point of his girlfriend, from the point of view of his girlfriend, uh, asking why he goes and destroys Tokyo all the time. You know, <laughs> is he just going to show off or is he seeing someone in the city? What's, you know, so, and it, it was, I was originally named the night Godzilla dumped his chick. It, uh, so uh, it's just basically Godzilla and his girlfriend having an argument uh, with her, her point of view, but asking why he keeps knocking down the cities over and over. And uh, there was a, a song lyric that sort of said the same thing that kind of hit me at the same time. And like three or four other things just sort of collided. And I'm like, okay. And I wrote it and it was just for fun. And I, it ended up being nominated for a couple of awards, which is kind of funny. And um, I was, uh, talking to a friend who's a professor and he, he read it a few times to his classes and he's read it at sci-fi meetings because he, he just really enjoys the poem a lot. And it was never meant to be anything serious, but it was one of the cases, like you said, where these ideas come from, where it's, you take one idea and you, you smash it into another. That's kind of what I do with my books a lot is I like take two things that I love and just see what happens when we push them into each other and, and see if they work out. And sometimes they do. And sometimes they don't. That's I picture like this nagging other Godzilla with her, hair up in like rollers right and she's like at the door <laughs> stamping her foot you know waiting to see that's yeah. hilarious well it's yeah. like <laughs> todd uh, godzilla is like the the todd that drinks monster and punches holes in the <laughs> there you go <laughs> right, right, takes right. it out on tokyo yeah exactly exactly <laughs> and you know one of her her uh you know one of her uh comebacks was more or less you know i know what you can do it's just others that need to see you know that you're not going to do the same thing over and over you got to try something new and yeah you know the usual sort of you know haggles with with you know yeah, motivation yeah, it's, it's funny you almost brought like you know these weird characters into a, a real life thing you know like what if right. type thing you know yeah yeah, yeah. that's crazy <laughs> that's crazy yeah um do you so you know we talked about 2013 your book you know you've got other ones out there obviously i find it kind of unique that 
because usually a lot of writers, well, not a lot, but the ones I, I guess I know, and we're not, I'm not very educated to be honest with you. I love reading, but you know, I know what I like to read and that's what I read. Mm-hmm. Um, you mm-hmm. don't find a lot of authors getting into poetry and other things, like they loop that into their, their basket of work. Um, right. I, I don't know. I find that unique. What, what, what happened with that uh, whole kickoff is just say, Hey, this isn't book worthy, but this is yeah. a short story worthy thing. Yeah, well, what was fun about it was, you know, I was trying to write these books, and then I learned about this sci-fi and horror poetry, and I wasn't big into poetry. I, I, you know, I had tried early on to try and write maybe some serious poetry, serious poetry that, you know, and it just didn't work for me. My, you know, my my creativity, my heart wasn't in that. But when I got to, you know, the idea from these workshops and these other uh, collections of poetry, I started buying from uh, uh, some of these horror poets that I knew at the that I had met it just became real to me, I guess. It was something that I cared about for so long. You know, if I wanted to talk about Mothman in a poem, well, you know, I've been reading about him forever. If I want to talk about UFOs, I have all this knowledge to draw from because, I, like I said, mm-hmm. I've been a, a bookworm about all that. And it made me care about that, and it made me um, try and figure out not necessarily how to make other people care about a, a Yeti poem or a Bigfoot poem, but how to have them read it and get to the heart of it where I'm actually saying something that might be serious or might be, you know, might be the same thing you find in, in a, you know, a normal poem, except that Frankenstein's in it, you know, it's, you know, talking about, you know, uh, loneliness and separation and things like that, that, you know, you see a lot in these monster movies uh, that, you know, everybody experiences just not in the same way. So I think that's what kind of made me jump into it was that it was something I really had fun with. And I never wanted to be serious about it. It was never that I was going to, you know, challenge any you know great poets with my, <laughs> my work. It was that I wanted to have fun and I wanted people to have fun reading my stuff because I know so many people find poetry to be a bore or to be tough to read. Um, but maybe throwing in UFOs is something that, you know, <laughs> I think that might make it a little more interesting. I, I think that's, you've found out the way for me to read poetry. I, I read poetry <laughs> with Absolutely. UFOs or Frankenstein yeah. or something that, I've never yeah. honestly heard of this. This is the first time I've ever heard of that. Yeah, so yeah. that's really cool. I, I, I got a, along that lines. I had a terrific review uh, that said, I write po- Matt Betts writes poetry for people who hate poetry. Uh, <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's something fun to, to sort of poke fun at the form and at the, mm-hmm. at that genre, but to still, like I said, still hopefully get something out of it, even if it's just a laugh, you know? Yeah. 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 Oh, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, <laughs> do you have a favorite cryptid? Uh, yeah, I probably I've mentioned uh, Mothman a couple of times in this conversation. Mm-hmm. I think I think he is. I went to the fest the Mothman Festival down in West Virginia and oh, had nice. such a blast with it, um, and, and that probably cemented it. I think the fact that he had his own festival and mm-hmm. it was such a cool time, um, and and that whole you know the the whole story and uh, the ongoing story about the possibility of uh, uh, they've talked about Mothman in Chicago, haven't they? In, the, in that yeah, sort of area, sure. there's been some sightings up there. So yeah. I, I love that it, it started out as a story that seemed to be enclosed in itself it seemed like it ended once the bridge collapsed and i don't think they saw a lot after that but then suddenly there's some sort of new uh sightings and a new legacy to this that is so much uh so much fun and really interesting to follow and to just sort of you know go through the details of that and to go to that festival and to see at the time i don't know if they still do they had like uh miss uh, Miss Mothman. Uh, uh, they had like a pad, a beauty pageant, yeah. or a teen pageant, or something. They had a Miss Mothman. I don't, don't want to see. Yeah, you know, they gave tour. 
Yeah, they had tours of the of the the TNT area and stuff like that. It was just and the, you know all of the great Mothman foods they had. Uh, it was just a blast and and just to you know be able to have fun with other people that are into that and the festival. Of course, uh, their vendors were all kinds of cryptids, so you got to run the whole gamut when you're there. Uh, you know, I I think that's probably one of my my favorites. I yeah. mean, it's tough to say you know Bigfoot because there's just so many variations you know sure, there's so many there's yeah. skunk ape and and uh, you know so i i think mothman's it and, and i just think he looks cool anyway and it, so many because so many people interpret him slightly different you know you have yeah. people like drawing him as a as an actual giant moth and mm-hmm. people that you know have this sort of weird cryptid creature so i think he's probably a big favorite of mine yeah that's i think a, i, think I actually funny. have to agree that's yeah. probably one of mine yeah. as well i've always yeah. wanted to get down to that festival Oh man, it's so good. Yeah, we were gonna try, I think, and then COVID happened, and then maybe I'll try right. and get right. get there uh, next year. Yeah, yeah, that, they have the Mothman Museum. That's pretty mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, I, I want to tour that TNT area. Giant, so bad. Yeah. giant so bad. bug yeah. lights all over the place. It's like in the middle of the night. Just <laughs> come on. Yeah, Why take it? You take a hay wagon out there. Let's yeah. just go. You know. <laughs> so, I, so awesome. I didn't get to do that, but it's yeah. it's so much fun. It's so cool. So so Matt, and it just gonna, keeps getting bigger. Yeah, Sorry. yeah, exactly. No, we're gonna take a quick break, but I I do want to mention one of the uh, people we've had on the show actually in front of the podcast. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard, but if you if you are a soul reader, uh, check out uh, Tobias Wayland. He wrote a book about the Michigan Mothman. Um, really good. Mm-hmm. I think it came out last year. So he kind of lives in that area. He's been studying that. Um, yeah, fan, fantastic book for sure. So. And if you're still Excellent. But uh, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, everybody, we will be right back with Matt Betts. Stand by. Believe in UFOs? Felt that chill up your spine that you just can't explain? Contemplate the other side of reality? Do you shake your head at the world that seems to have lost its common sense? Well, look no further than Strange Uncles. Find them on all podcast platforms and call their hotline to tell your side of reality at 801-252-6945. Open the gates. All right, and we are back. Uh, Matt, so I had a question in regards to, and even though it, it seems like it's a short amount of time, you know, from your first book to, to now, you know, we're looking like eight years, uh, obviously things have changed with publishing, how it's available, things like that. Like Amazon, you know, it's a big monster in the closet that we, you know, we, nobody wants to talk about, but what Amazon does is it gives good, it gives a better way for somebody to find a book, find an author, you know, they kind of make that automated to a point. Do you, what's your thoughts on that? Just out of curiosity, did you like the old way? Do you think it's getting better? Is it easier for a new writer? Uh, you know, so the first book I actually came out with was a, a collection of poetry and I self-published that back when it wasn't easy to do. It really, I, I took all these poems that I wrote and I, you know, had a, a local printer just, you know, put them into sort of a chat book and I, I sold them out of my car, basically, you know, I would go to conventions that I went to anyway, and I would sell them at conventions or I would, you know, I'd do a program and, and sell it. And I did fairly well there, but, you know, nobody, you know, outside of those areas would have heard of me or would have found the book. Um, eventually a publisher that I met uh, took that book and put it on, you know, he published it with his little publishing company, which was great and got a little wider exposure, but man, Amazon is, I think for every author, it's sort of that, you know, good cop, bad cop, almost it's, right. you know, you are getting that exposure. And if somebody searches for a fiction and 
a Sasquatch or whatever, it's possible my name's going to come up in their search on there. Mm-hmm. Great. But, you know, it's it's that back and forth between how much they have to sell that book for on Amazon because Amazon wants its piece and, you know, and and it's it's just tough. It's tough to say where a lot of authors would be without Amazon, even though so many are trying to get away from it. I mean, you've still got Barnes and Noble and a few other ones out there that are selling books online, but they just don't have the reach or the recognition, I think, that people have for Amazon. You know, uh, you you see so many, you, I can't remember the last time I've seen a commercial on television for Barnes and Noble, but you see right. Amazon, whether it's for their groceries or whatever, uh, you see commercials for them all the time now. So, and you see their trucks out everywhere. So they're kind of like that household name now that if people are looking for anything, they're going to go mm-hmm. there first. Mm-hmm. So how many of them go there first and find the book and then go to a smaller publisher or, or a little bookstore in their neighborhood? Uh, I'm betting that percentage is pretty low. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I, I love what they've, they, they've done for sales and things like that, but what they've done to smaller bookstores and, you know, just mm-hmm. the books buying, you know, in general, not, not to be able to go into a bookstore as often and look at that copy right. or to pick it up right. and have that book in your hand. So it's so. tough. It's tough. I mean, I, uh, I think a lot of my sales, especially for uh, something like uh, these books I've done with Severed Press, which is uh, The Shadow Beneath the Wave and uh, White Anvil, which is the, the Sasquatch book. They're from a publisher that's in, um, uh, 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 um, sorry, New Zealand. So, oh, wow. you know, how their books would get, dis- they, would, they can get a distribution here in the States, but, mm-hmm. you know, people wouldn't find them quite as easily without, you know, Amazon and some of the other right, searches. Right. So, you know, they, they definitely keep some of my titles alive and keep them, you know, really, uh, uh, you know, in the forefront of some places. Uh, like those, for instance, uh, that one, the Bigfoot one is, is definitely one of my biggest sellers. And it has uh, probably like 100, you know, ratings or, or reviews on Amazon, mm-hmm. as opposed to some of the other places where it might have two or three because no one really thinks to go there. Right. So they're what's keeping me in that. Ben, I don't know if you know how some of the things on Amazon work, but having that many reviews or having so many reviews will get you you know, put into the people who bought this also enjoyed this book or, or you know, maybe in their newsletter. There. Yeah. So they definitely help pump up the, the publicity yeah. for it too. So yeah. it's, it's one of those things where, you know, I, I really wish things were different. <laughs> if there were another one quite as big as Amazon that could really take them on and, and sell books a certain way. But right now they're, they're the only game in town in some places, you know, in some instances, you know, yeah. and, and you know, it's crazy too. And the reason I asked that question a little bit is because, um, you know, you, you mentioned Barnes and Nobles, for example, and, and now mm-hmm. it's where because Amazon's kind of the big fish to Barnes and Nobles and poor Barnes and Nobles. But yeah. in reality, Barnes and Nobles did exactly to the small bookstore seller. Oh, yeah. That, sure. that Amazon's doing, you know, and right. it's just weird how the tables turn, you know, as, as you move yeah. through history and move through how that works. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, we had uh, here in Columbus, we, I mean, we had Borders, we had B. Dalton's for a while. Um, and now there's, we don't have any in Columbus, but there's the um, Books a Million. There's quite a few of those oh. in Ohio, just not in Columbus yet. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much of a share they're taking at this point, but they seem to be rising up and doing things things a little differently than how uh, Barnes & Noble did it. But yeah, you're absolutely right. They're, uh, for a while there, it looks like Barnes & Noble is going to be the last one standing, but it was mainly because they uh, they did whatever they could to get their share, you know? Yeah, become a big box store, you know? I mean, it, it's, yeah. in, it's there, and that's what happens, too. Right. Yeah, that's amazing. Right. Um, right. So looking on your website, and I guess let's talk about your books. You know, we, we've been talking sure. about you and your methods and, and everything we want to yeah. do. And, and I just find this hilarious. I mentioned it in the bio too. Uh, you got one here called the boogeyman's intern and it literally has like Bigfoot 
and the boogeyman yeah. and there's leprechauns in there. <laughs> like it that just, was, wow. yeah, that was one where I was trying to figure out a way to get all those together. You know, I really wanted yeah. to have a place where all these imaginary or so-called imaginary things got together when no one can find them. Nobody can find Bigfoot. Why? Well, he disappears to this other place for a while when he's not working, you know, yeah, yeah. it's, it's kind of like uh, monsters Inc for adults. I think, you know, you, yeah. you, you, everything that the adults talk about or, or, you know, can't quite prove they all go there. Uh, you're right. Leprechauns, there's Santa Claus is in there for a brief cameo. You know, there's uh tooth fairy. It plays a really big part. And of course, from the title, there are, uh, several boogeymen, think people that just are there to scare people and go back home and, and have lunch, basically. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. Yeah, like, it just, it's, it's a lot of fun. That was another one. That was like my second one that I wrote, and it took a long time. It was just in parts. It was you know how far was I going to go with this, and and how you know how much how funny I was going to make it versus how scary or you know it ended up being more funny than anything. But uh, it was a blaster, right? Just to figure out who I was going to put in there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's Bigfoot, and like you said, there's so many things that I you know I wanted to put every cryptid I've ever known in there. But I, I was hoping a sequel might happen. Who knows? <laughs> That's funny. Well, and, and just let's mention too, and we'll give you a chance to promo, you know, at the, at the end of the interview, but um, everybody, anybody listening to this, you can check out, uh, he's got his own website is mattbets.com, uh, bets with two T's, uh, and all of your stuff is, is right there. So it's kind of laid out and it's nice and neat. Um, what's yeah. your newest, uh, you mentioned you just finished a book. What, what's your latest yeah. newest one that everybody can pick up? Uh, the latest one I can pick up. Um, what we talked about Oddman Out was, was the first one that came out, and I was they were very excited about how well that book did for them. And like I said, it was one of the first sci-fi books this horror publisher had done, and so they offered me a contract for three more books, which was great. And one of them had to be a sequel. So uh, the most recent one that came out was Red Gear Nine, which is a sequel to my first book. And um, you talk about you know how my process has changed from the first book or, or my early days to now, it was really weird to write a sequel after so many years and so many books had you know gone by that, you know, I had to go back and remember who everybody was and I had to go, okay, wait a minute, that character's dead. I can't write about him. Uh, but it really was a very different process. That was when I did really kind of do a short, um, a short uh, outline for, and, uh, and I really enjoyed the characters from that first book. So I, I brought as many people back th- as I could and, uh, and had them, you know, go a little further on, on these adventures. But so that takes place in the civil war. The first one did too, as well. Um, but this one, I kind of added in the idea of a Southern spy, sort of a James Bond during the Confederacy. And uh, mm. I did my best to try and find sort of analogs for what James Bond's weapons would be today but see how I can make something similar during the civil war. And I couldn't always do it. And, and so some of the, his weapons were not nearly as spectacular as James Bond's, but um, it was a fun character to write. And, you know, he, he's the bad guy, but you kind of follow him through most of it. And I think at some points you kind of root for him to, to come through, but um, it, it, it was a blast. It was a blast to go back and do, but so that's my most recent red gear nine is a sequel to odd men out. And we have ideas for books beyond that, but we haven't really started uh, working on them yet uh, or talking about them with the publisher yet. So, yeah. And the book before that I mentioned as well uh, was for the Edgar Rice Burroughs uh, Inc., which came out about this pretty close to the same time as red gear nine. And uh, that was, you know, pure space fantasy where uh, I was continuing the story of a guy who, wanted to uh, to fly a rocket remember this is in the 40s uh wanted to fly a rocket ship to mars and didn't make the right calculations and he ends up on uh, 
Venus. The, that's a that's a big miss there. You know, you're yeah, aiming for yeah, yeah, yeah. So he ends up on Venus. So I was continuing his his adventures, and that was a lot of fun too. Like I said, that yeah, was yeah. really fun to do uh, an outline and do it for this. You know, to be able to say that what I was writing was canon to something that the same guy that wrote Tarzan and all these other things uh, to that's say that crazy. my work was considered canon in his his stories was great yeah. it was really a lot of fun to be able to to, to do that that's got to be humbling i mean you know just that, that in general that's pretty neat so yeah just to have them come and talk to me about it was yeah. so much fun and to say well here's the idea and to, to have them agree that that would be a terrific idea and mm-hmm. with a few tweaks we were ready to go so mm-hmm. uh, humbling and exciting and, and just a just a great process yeah, yeah, yeah. Are, do you think you're going to stick with the same genre? Do you think there's anything in the in the future that might you know delve off of the weird or something you know maybe you know something a little bit more serious taken or this is kind of your niche? This is what you found. Uh, yeah, I think this is kind of what I do. You know, I, I the, the book that I'm I'm writing right now is maybe slightly more serious, but it's it's still me taking two things that I love and kind of smashing them together and seeing if a it'll work and b if other people will enjoy it. You know. Uh, what, what I'm, what the book is I'm doing now is a, is a mashup of the wizard of Oz and apocalypse now. Oh, so Jesus. that's, <laughs> you oh, can't wow. get weirder, <laughs> I would yeah, love you know, maybe that. somebody like, that. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, so yeah, I don't think the weirdness is ever going to stop with me. I think it's always going to be, uh, if it is slightly more serious, it's still going to be weird no matter how it comes out. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's just, I, I like sort of messing with people's expectations. You know, if I, if I tell people I'm writing a book about the Wizard of Oz and they go, okay, I know what that's going to be like. Yeah, you know, I got to find a way to make it not what they think what, it's what like. You, so. What you think you're going to assume it is, you know, type thing. Right, well, yeah. Well, you I always like, like to make yeah. that left turn. Well, you, you definitely <laughs> made it with us. I mean, I, I <laughs> you know, you, even that said you started like Wizard of Oz, I'm like, oh, oh, and then I matched it up with, oh, wow, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the so Wizard funny. of Oz. Just imagine the, now? Uh, the, the <laughs> <laughs> the man behind the curtain. Just- That's right. Well, you, you've got the man behind the curtain. You've got Kurtz from Apocalypse Now. You know, yeah. they're, why are they not the same person? You know? Yeah. True. So, I, yeah. I love that matchup. That sounds well, amazing. Well, it was funny when I started doing outlines of both of them, whether it was the books that they're based on, uh, you know, uh, the wonderful Wizard of Oz is the book. And with uh, Apocalypse Now, it's, uh, oh, I'm losing my mind. I can't remember. Oh, uh, Heart of Darkness. Uh, but when I looked at those and I, I looked at their points, there's a lot of things that intersect and it's like, hmm, it's they seem to be a lot, you know, so much alike. Why not try to just meld them together and see how they fit? And, you know, I have people reading it for me right now, uh, an editor looking at it. So we'll see if they think those mashed up the way I think they mashed up it. Yeah. Sometimes, like I said, it doesn't work out. <laughs> yeah, I, I wrote I wrote your book and it kept me up at night. So yeah, let's, let's sell this thing for sure. Right. So this is kind of a loaded question, but um, and, you know, well, you know, a lot of authors, you know, hope for the best like this, but do you ever, right. I guess, number one, picture one of your books into a movie format and which one would it be? Is that something, or you just want to stick with, you know what? My books are my books. I don't think they'll adapt to something else. What's that? Right. Like? Uh, I, I mean, I think I'd always, you know, enjoy that. And with so many streaming things right now, you're like, it's not that far fetched that they may, you know, may need some content, you know, but there, I, I think I write since I love pop culture and I love, um, I'm a big, you know, movie buff and I love things, you know, just, just vegging out in front of a screen sometimes. Um, I, I'd love to see something end up, whether it's a television series or whether it's uh, a movie. I think the one that would probably be the easiest to adapt would be a book called uh, uh, Indelible Ink. Uh, it's kind oh, of my mashup yeah. of sci-fi and crime. 
Uh, I'm a big fan of Elmore Leonard's crime stories. And so this is kind of like my mashup of sci-fi and an Elmore Leonard book with uh, sort of a female assassin who has these sort of weird powers that help her be an assassin. And one time she she pushes those powers a little too far and realizes that they've been sort of controlling her and she, she wants to get out of that life of crime. And of course, nobody wants to let her get out, but it's kind of hard to say no to her with these powers she has. I, I you know, it's, it's not a big, you know, sci-fi lasers, spaceships and stuff. It's very, you know, sort of low-key sci-fi with that little extra element of the the sort of paranormal sci-fi that's going on with this power she has. But the rest of it's very grounded in, you know, uh, the real world. And she has sort of some real world problems. She has a family that's kind of a pain in her butt. So I I think it would be an easy one to adapt. I think it would be good for the screen. Um, And that that would be the one I would like to see anyway. It was one of my favorites. Um, But if I had a big budget, somebody said, hey, we're going to throw a lot of money at you to make this movie, which I hope they do someday. (laughs) Um, I really, The Shadow Beneath the Waves was a lot of fun to write. And it has, uh, you know, it has giant robots. It has kaiju. It's got, you know, all the uh, sea battles and and, uh, all kinds of fun stuff. And it would be a a great uh, Michael Bay type blockbuster, I would hope. But, you know, I I would definitely uh, see that. Yeah. (laughs) And the last one, when you talk about it, I mean, the the Bigfoot book that I wrote that uh, I'm, I'm uh, in some ways I was really shocked at how well it's still doing. I mean, it's been out for almost two years, but um, it's really had a great reaction and it continues to, to you know, people keep, keep picking it up on, uh, on uh, the Kindle and, and whatever, but that wouldn't be too tough to do. You just need some special effects to do some genetically modified Sasquatches uh, <laughs> and you'd have to crash a train. That's it. You know, it, it's basically a story of these... Uh, uh, soldiers that are transporting some prisoners out of a, a secret prison. Uh, they're right, They're taking a train and uh, something uh, makes the train crash and some of the cars fall on half of this hill and the other go down the other half. But what they find out later, what some of the people find out later is that they were also you know, taking these experiments that were captured Sasquatches. Uh, they were also taking them off to uh, the United States for a, uh, nefarious purposes, I guess we can call them. Uh, so the people have this crash train out in the middle of nowhere in the mountains in Canada and no way to communicate. And uh, they're sort of beset by these prisoners and these Sasquatch. So it's kind of a nice, you know, tension, you know, there's a lot of tension. There's a lot of action. There's a lot of uh, genetically modified uh, Sasquatches tearing people apart. And oh. it's just, a, you know, it's, it's a fun for the family kind of thing. I, I so, would definitely watch that. Who would, you, uh, <laughs> who would you want to direct that? Oh man, I don't know. You could have uh, your choice. Gosh, Quentin that's Tarantino. a tough one. Quentin Tarantino. Well, Tarantino would be so much better. But it'd be a little be bloodier than I made. That'd be an interesting Tarantino film, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, I don't know. You know, there's just so many, uh, so many of those directors that I had really, you know, followed when I was, you know, when I was younger in the '80s and everything like that. Really don't do it anymore or you know that sort of the 80s action movie fell out of fashion and and so there's all these other directors that you know i I know from one or two projects so i don't know i there's there's some there's some fun people out there but i don't you know i don't know who i would john carpenter oh man yeah john carpenter's a good one old school yeah Yeah, yeah that'd be very old school but that'd be kind of perfect for it i can't think who did the uh the remake of the thing they did a pretty good job of it uh i mean obviously carpenter yeah, yeah, they did maybe not even ten years ago, but yeah, I don't know if it was a remake or not. Now that I think about it, I saw it. And I, it might have not been a remake. It might have been a prequel. No, I don't, no, know. I don't anyway, know. I remember I think that it was one. a reboot, right? Because it ended with that dog that shows up in the the yeah. thing running away. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I guess it's a prequel, but it seemed like the same movie all the way through until that happened. 
I had just completely forgotten about that. And when you said the remake of the thing, I was like, yeah, John Carpenter. What are you? What? Right. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right? funny. Well, even, even the Kurt <laughs> There's Russell. There's a lot of remakes. So you kind of go, huh? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, these days, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, the, the Kurt Russell one that came out to, what, 82, 84? Yeah, God, that was, yeah. That that was a good one. Yeah, we watched that, too. We watched both of those fairly recently. Yeah. The, the 82 one and the, the more recent one. We watched those not yeah, yeah. necessarily back-to-back, but yeah. watched them fairly close to each other. And that one, the Kurt Russell one, was just so much, so enjoyable. You know, it, it blows me away, too, because I remember when I was a kid, my mom and dad, um, like, it, I came home one day and they had dad had rented that VHS mind you I, I'm, I'm probably about the same age you are Matt but uh, <laughs> came home you know Montana we got the old VCR thing and they go hey we rented the thing we remember watching the thing it scared the hell out of us and we want you to see it and they put it in they started playing it and about 10 minutes into it dad's like this really sucks this, this is bad. That's, I don't want to finish this at all. You know, it's right. amazing how time, you know, as it things is. get better and, and you know, when right. you're looking at it. I couldn't even imagine. Like, you know, I remember watching the old, dumb, you know, no CGI 80s, 90s movies where they tried to make a superhero a superhero. It just right. wouldn't stick. It didn't. And I yeah. wanted so bad for technology to catch up. And then, bam, now we got Marvel. You got DC. And now we're at a place where, holy God, you can make a story. Out yeah. of something, you can get a guy in in tights with his underwear on that side of his pants yeah. and, right. and make it believable. Like that's yeah. where we're oh, at totally. nowadays. You know, it's just it's just crazy. Right. So, well, I mean, if you go back to the eighties and you see those uh, those Incredible Hulk movies they made, like oh, you know, they had they had yeah. Hulk TV movies and they had the they had Thor in there and they had Daredevil. And if you look at you know where they were at then for Thor and Daredevil and and the Hulk, and you look at now, yeah, oh, yeah. it's just it's yeah. insane the the difference. Yeah, and I can't find it, but I remember watching an old. It was early eighties, but it was a Captain America movie, and they actually mm-hmm. had Red Skull in it. I remember watching it oh. and liking yeah. it. It but, was a big rubber red skull that he had on. Right? Yeah, it like, was awful. Was costume. Yeah. It was like awful. It. But boy, as a kid, I loved it. No I way it they fantastic. could make it not look super fake. Right. Yeah, right. I will say, <laughs> and I'm trying not to get off track, but uh, yeah. the only thing that looks better back then is the Ninja Turtles costumes look way better than oh. the original. <laughs> the, or, new or, the, new, the new one. The new one. Horrible. No, yeah. And I know that's getting off topic, but I just yeah. had to throw no, that but, in there. So, you know, like, <laughs> I agree like, wholeheartedly. Yeah, that's a like, I tried to watch one of the newer ones, and it, I just couldn't watch those. Oh, they're fucking oh, terrible. crazy. No, no yeah. they're awful. Yeah. 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 I, quit, quit, quit trying to just put that away. Leave it alone. <laughs> leave, it, yeah, leave them to the end. Um, so the only, I think the one of the last questions I got for you, Matt, it, and again, thank you so much for the time. You know, it's, yeah, it's no great problem. You know, talk to somebody that has a love and the passion for it. Um, you know, obviously, you know, you're, you're a writer. You're going to continue to write. When you turn the tables a little bit and you look in some of your favorite writers – who are they look like? Who are they? What does that look like to you? Uh, well, you know, to, today, uh, you know, like I said, I loved King and I, I, we mentioned Eric Larson. He's one of my favorites. Uh, another nonfiction one is Sarah Vowell. She's terrific. She writes great histories. Um, I don't know if you guys know her, but she, she did the voice of Lila in, uh, what's the superhero movie, uh, cartoon with, uh, Oh, she has a really high pitched voice. I can't think of it. It's uh, they just did a sequel to it not too long ago. Mm. But she did the voice of Lila oh, in the, the Incredibles. Yes, yeah, yeah, she yeah. was the da- the younger daughter, the real high pitched voice. And uh, after that came out, I was like, uh, I heard that she wrote books, and I went and, and read them. And she wrote, writes. Um, she wrote one called Assassination Vacation, which is nonfiction, and it followed all these. You know, she really geeks out of her history, and she follows you know all of the. 
like the in the footsteps of all the people who tried to shoot a president or did shoot a president or you know oh. who was involved in all of this and it's it sounds really again really kind of boring but she makes it so exciting with her i don't know about exciting let me backtrack she makes it very interesting uh no. to, to go through this historical stuff and she writes essays and things like that she's very interesting uh to, to pick up on what she she does and it's really weird to hear i, I had the audio book of her doing assassination vacation so it was like this cartoon character was reading about shooting kennedy and shooting yeah. abe lincoln and stuff like that and it was really just kind of that whiplash for a second there of of who was who um and as far as fiction i you know i pick up a lot of a lot of things i read a lot of my uh uh friends that i've met at different conferences and things like that like i've mentioned my editor heidi ruby miller and her husband uh jason jack miller both write uh she writes sci-fi and he writes more um i I don't want to call it mystery, but it's uh, it's it's uh, it's sort of uh, haunting. Sort of, I don't even know how to describe Jason's work, but it's terrific. Um, I'm turning to look at my 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 other stuff <laughs> I've been reading lately. Um, oh man, I don't know if you read. Uh, uh, oh man, again, I'm looking straight at and I can't tell you the name. Uh, Jonathan Mayberry stuff. Have you ever have you read any of his? He writes uh, some zombie novels, but he also writes. He writes a wide variety of things, but uh, he's another one of those people that I, I met early on in my career. And uh, so he's had comic books out. He's had novels out. He's had some of his stuff made into a series on Netflix. And he's just got some some great uh, horror and sci-fi-ish kind of stuff. Uh, but I met him at a conference once, and he affected me because, I mean, he's got all this stuff going on. And I knew that. But every time I saw him at this conference, he was sitting down writing. <laughs> Everywhere I went, I would see him sitting there and he was working even at this conference. He was writing another book. He was writing another scene or whatever. And I've seen him at other conferences since. And I still, when he isn't, you know, presenting or signing somewhere, he is sitting down and he is working his butt that, off. That's ambition. Um, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They, they introduced me to him. They're like, Hey, this is Jonathan Mayberry. And he was sitting there at his laptop. I had to look up and say, Oh, Hey, um, but he has a, a, I think he started the, the sort of chronicles that he did in this one series with patient zero, I think was the first one. Um, I highly recommend his fiction. It's terrific, but um, all around terrific guy and, uh, and really sort of uh, mentors a lot of people and really likes to help other writers along now that he's kind of oh, cool. made it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, that book you mentioned, Assassination Vacation, is that right? Yeah. I got to yeah. check that out. See, that sounds fascinating to me. Right. Yeah. It's yeah, very, yeah. you know, nitpicky in the little details of, of history that you may not know. But like I said, she makes it interesting rather than sort of a drag through it, you know? Yeah. I don't know if I want to read it. That might change Incredibles for me all over again. I love that show. <laughs> like I said, I, if, yeah. you, if you download the, the audio version of it, it's really interesting to hear. Right her read it <laughs> even funny. she's got like a, some books of essays i think she reads too just listen to one of the essays and you'll get the idea yeah 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 this That's is a funny. random fact about jonathan mayberry uh, mm. he holds an eighth degree black belt in shanawara ryu jiu-jitsu and right. in 2004 he was inducted into the martial arts hall of fame he, oh, wow. i think he used to be a bodyguard for somebody yeah, i don't crazy. know if it's somebody famous but he, he did that for a while and now he writes isn't that so you know, yeah hey yeah. somebody's gonna you gotta get hey are you the bodyguard Shh. <laughs> hold on <laughs> right that's crazy right Man, yeah yeah that's amazing i you know i don't have any more questions I, I i mean number one it's just a joy to have you on matt i i think Thanks. this is very this is new to us like i said we it's very refreshing you know we we we've been doing this uh i don't know what guys going on a little over four years and we've had all kinds of plethora of different people um an author such as yourself we have not had on so i'm very very glad that Great. i grabbed that email and we saw it uh is there anything we can do for you any promotions anything you want to throw out there as far as uh what to find how to find you what you're working on 
Well, you mentioned my website, uh, mattbets.com. Um, I also do uh, my own podcast that we're sort of breaking up into little bits and pieces, but um, I do one called Something from Nothing where I kind of do what what we do here, I, I uh, what, what we just did here. Um, I interview all kinds of creative types. I, I've talked to poets. I've talked to a lot of the writers I know. Um, I've got some actors and comedians oh. and things like that. And we just basically talk about their origin story. You know, what, what got them into comedy? What's their process? Um, and, you know, what were their, you know, a lot of it lately has been a lot of it on the, the we've only like six episodes in, but a lot of those episodes were, you know, how, how did you as a creative person or as an artist or as an author make it to the pandemic? You know, uh, they can't go to conferences and all this fun stuff and uh, the actors, you know, can't be on stage or couldn't do a lot of their stuff. So it, it's interesting to see how they, they, they made it, you know, what it took. Um, we've talked to comic book dealers and uh, artists and things like that, just saying, how, how did it work? But yeah, so that's, you know, it's fun. Uh, we usually do two or three short interviews. We'll do like a 15 or 20 minute interview and some of them are longer. Um, I don't know if you've ever watched uh, Mystery Science Theater, but my first guests okay. were, were the uh, original mad scientists from uh, that, uh, Frank oh. and, uh, and uh, the, the doctor. Uh, oh. they were my, they were our first interviews and they were so good. And, uh, it's just, like I said, it's just great to hear how other people do things. You know, you asked how I create and it was kind of fun to hear how somebody else approaches it, you know? Yeah. So yeah, those are my plugs. It's something yeah. from nothing. Oh, fantastic. Uh, there it is right there. Found it. Awesome. I love stuff like that. Yeah. I will definitely check that out. That is fantastic. No, that's right. great. You know, and again, and again, everybody, you know, Matt bets, uh, bets with two T's. Uh, you can find his website here. You can find his book. So I've got one on order. I'm really looking forward to getting that and receiving it and reading it. And then of course, you know, everything else you got in the, in the pipeline, uh, anything kind of on your bucket list that you really haven't started that you're like, man, I really got to get on that. Whether it's a book, whether it's a trip, whether it's anything like that in your, in your future. Well, you know, I, I finally got to go to a conference not too long ago. I went to a pulp fest where we got to, you know, actually be in a dealer's room and got to, you know, do all that fun convention stuff. But uh, I really want to get back to some of the other ones. The travel uh, is, is just is one of my favorite things to do, especially when, you know, I'm traveling to, from conference to conference and mm-hmm. just, uh, you know, I'm nowhere near my, my old routine. You know, I used to go to one or two a month or usually about one a month maybe. And I've done one in the last year. So I got a little catching up to do. And, and uh, that's, that's one of my big ones. I just like to get out and go and meet new people and, and uh, you know, drive past weird things and take, you know, take pictures of them or yep. whatever. And, yep. uh, or, or, you know, like, like we've talked about cryptids to, to stop by somewhere where, you know, something as weird has happened or, you know, do your own little yeah. investigation, you know? Yeah. So I miss that. I really miss getting out. So yeah. that's, that's next. Yeah. I, th- I think we all do. I, I, uh, so yeah. I met these guys in Salt Lake and we mm. did have a chance to check out Skinwalker Ranch. If you've ever heard nice. of that, uh, and yeah, yeah. to it. And then we uh, we ended up before I moved back to Washington State. We ended up we took a road trip to Area Fifty One because we've never been oh, out there. Nice. And, and no, nice. No, I've never been out that way. Oh man, the craziest characters! I I can't wrap <laughs> my mind around how these people live life every day. It, it's just yeah. it's, it's oh insane. yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet. <laughs> well, one of my favorites was yeah. to go to a conference. We went out to California and we got to stay. The conference was on like Queen Mary, which is oh, supposed to be wildly haunted, and yeah. just mm-hmm. it was just so much fun to stay there. I didn't see anything yeah. out of the ordinary, unfortunately, but yeah. it was just to be on that ship was just so you know. Know, sort of mind-boggling so i will tell you a story on that real quick and, and mm. then we'll let you go we so the wife uh surprised me we had tickets to 
do a preseason game for Seahawks uh, a few oh, years ago. Yeah. It was actually just before the pandemic, and she had booked mm-hmm. a night on the Queen Mary. And of course, you know, I took all my recording gear, my EMF, my right. recording gear, because I'm hoping to find something. And and they had like a wedding going on, so I, I'm sure it scared <laughs> away all the ghosts. If there were any, they, they didn't really care. But I do remember because you know you've stayed there, so you're familiar with the cabins, yeah. and they've got the two oh, sure. beds on on each side. Yeah. Two o'clock in the morning, I wake up, and my wife is standing next to my. My cot, my side of the bed, she's crying. She's like, I just heard somebody screaming, and I, and I don't know what to do. And she crawled in wow. bed with me, and I never heard it, but she yeah. throws up and down, and she doesn't wow. believe in this stuff. So, I, you yeah. know, I don't know. We didn't see anything, but at the same time, boy, I'll tell you, it, it's, it's got a history. And sadly enough, I think now, um, the Queen Mary, I, I hear in the news that it's sinking. And so, oh my gosh, yes, try to try to do some work on that. But yeah, it's just a, a fun little quirk story. But um, for sure, you know, we're, we're right with you. Everything, anything weird, we'll. Yeah, we'll go to and and hopefully as the doors open up, you know, it'll it'll get ours. You know, we'll do our ventures again for sure. But well, um, on the Queen Mary, I was I was working at a bookstore and like a couple of weeks before I went and a bunch of my friends were going. There was a magazine that was like sort of haunted thing or it was like a ship magazine or something. It was I don't know historical, and it had a whole article about what was going wrong with the Queen Mary and what could possibly uh, sink at any time. Or and I I didn't tell any of my friends about it until we were done with the tours and stuff. <laughs> but yeah, that's not something you want to read the couple of weeks before you're going to stay on the boat is that it could sink and things are falling apart yeah as you're walking up after all hey guess what boys i picked this magazine up yeah yeah no even worse is when i was walking to my cabin there was a guy fixing something in the hallway and i'm like oh god i hope that's not something really important (laughs) it was like the hot water heater or something and we're not Mm. you know gonna sink while we're here but bring a lot of bubble gum just in case you find a hole just (laughs) Start, you know, make sure. That's right. So that's crazy, <laughs> Matt. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. You know, as you more books come out, you know, feel free by all means. We'd love to have you back on. It, it's refreshing, Great. you know, to talk about this stuff. And uh, if Great. you want to just uh, hang on uh, after air, we're getting done recording. We want to thank you off air and uh, everybody. Right. That was the author Matt Betts. Thank you much. Yeah, I'm hoping we didn't inundate him too much with just, you know, it always fascinates me what goes through an author's mind. Like, well, what's next? How'd you come up with that idea? Where the hell did that come from? Like, it was just, he's just unique. The guy's really unique and he's fun to talk to, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's, he's a guy to talk to. And yeah. I was uh, a little nervous when we started. It was like, mm, what are we going to talk to a fiction writer about? But I know you was- and me both. Yeah, it went really. I mean, there's a, a bunch of stuff. I was I was gonna go off and just be like, "So, you ever had a weird experience?" Me <laughs> too. That was like the one question that I had on my list that none of us asked, and I was yeah. gonna drop it right at the end. But then I was like, "That's loaded." Because if he has, it's like, uh, "Yeah, but like, I mean, personal or go, so right? Yeah, yeah. Whole nother rabbit hole, exactly." So you know, there's always plan B, or we yeah. have like a two hour episode, right? Or he's just like, "No." Yeah. Well, no, it's it's interesting to see how like an author, you know, his process and how he comes up with all that and you know, what just picking his brain. So it was a, it was a fun conversation for sure. Yeah. Yeah, well you managed to get your little uh remark in there about what's your favorite cryptid. I thought that was cool. Yeah, yeah, because you know, the guy again, you know, the guy started out reading you know nonfiction. You know, he knows it. He's got a background of just weird shit. So Well, I mean he writes about cryptids, so I mean he's gotta yeah. have yeah, um, you gotta have a favorite one in there. Absolutely, and I, I think that's a pretty uh, non-invasive question. You know, yes, I feel like asking somebody. So, you ever had a paranormal experience? Because some of the times those are like very personal and like, yeah, 
Yeah. Like, well, I do, but I'm not going to fucking tell you guy I met 10 minutes ago over Zoom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A little, per, little personable. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, he was really cool. I, I think he had some great suggestions. I, I like how he does it. I'd never heard of that method he was talking about, uh, like plotting and was it planters? Was that what he called it? It sounded like pl- uh, plotters and pancers. Pancers, like, I thought, but planters make more I, sense. I don't know. I think the pancers meant you right from the seat of your pants. Oh, maybe. Yeah. yeah, that's a good call. Yeah. Which, you know, yeah, and that's really yeah, good. It's, it's, a good it's plotters and pancers, exactly, pancers. like you right by the seat of your pants or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good point. It's a very good point, you know, and, and people take, and I'm sure there's a lot out there that can go either way, but, uh, you know, little tidbits like that just always, it's always nice to know, you know, for sure. But, uh, yeah, he was a great guy. So uh, for what it's worth, you know, number one, thank you to St- uh, Samantha, who's his, uh, his publicist, who kind of recommended, and, and then we, we can go from there. But, um, yeah, love to have the guy back. Uh, looking forward to reading his book when it comes, for sure. But anyway, so hopefully you guys enjoyed that uh, great little October piece for sure. Uh, we have more coming up here. And in fact, we've got some interviews that we just booked. We're not going to jinx ourselves, but in November, we've got a couple uh, that we had filled up. And we'll just roll in into the end of the season here in the December time frame. And then, of course, we'll start it up again first of the year. We're going to take probably a quick little two, three-week break uh, and then, you know, come up with ideas and, and then come back with season six. And I can't – Jesus, I say that, and I'm like, fuck, season six. That's crazy. I mean, we had 26, 28 episodes this season, or we will. Last season we had – anyway, you know, I mean, it's been fun doing it. And you look back on it, we've had some great people, some great guests, and, and great perspectives, I think, too. So – it's always nice to kind of look back in the in the time clock a bit. So, anyway. But you guys got anything on your side at all? Um, other than we'll plug the, the same-o, same-o. You know, if you have a story, you got a recommendation. If you like Matt Betts and you want to, you know, hey, this is a book I read of his. It's my recommendation. Thought we throw it out to you guys. Um, we'd love to hear from you. You know, you can write us at strangeuncles at gmail.com. Uh, you can call us at 801-252-69. If Shane would put the dolphin noise on the soundboard, then, you know, you would have that. Pack your bags. Going on a guilt trip, everybody. So always well, fun. you know. <laughs> I 45. There, 45. I got to get that on there. <laughs> what are they, season six, we'll have a dolphin sound ready to go. So anyway, uh, that's all I got. How are we looking on socials? Oh, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Strange Uncles podcast, uh, Strange Uncles on Twitter, we have a YouTube channel, which, if that's your preferred method of consuming podcasts. Uh, I think that's about it. Yeah, I think you covered it, too. Speaking of YouTube, by the way, I was going to say, uh, last night we got to cut up in some movies. because And real time, by the way, this isn't when these uh, episodes are dropping, by the way. We just lucked out that we uh, we had a couple good interviews, you know, back to back. But have you guys ever seen, Josh, you may have, John, I don't know. It, in like 81, 82, there was a made-for-TV movie called Goliath Awaits. You remember nope. that? It was about a cruise ship that sank in the 40s, like Titanic, and people are still mm. living down there. Uh, I don't think I saw that, but I think I saw like a weird episode of like uh, Stargate or something that incorporated oh, the plot gotcha. of that into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember seeing it when I was young, young, young. But anyway, I, I found it finally on YouTube, mind you. But uh, I did find it. So I might, uh, I don't know, I might take a trip down Nostalgia Lane and see if that's any good, as good as it as I thought you it was. You know what, Shane? You deserve it. Go yeah, oh, it. thanks, man. It's been a hard week for sure. So I'll tell the wife that. She's like, I'm not watching that. Fuck you. Josh said that I deserve it. Well, I so, didn't say she had to suffer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
No, too cool. Anyway, yeah, so we're going to go ahead and carry on carrying on. Thanks, everybody. Uh, thanks, guys. Appreciate your time. And, again, uh, we'll see you in Salt Lake here on the flip side. Close the gates.